down. They're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day. From local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard. To listen. And where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Uh, welcome to South Coast tonight. Uh, I'm Marcus. Wow! Look at that preparation. Oh my God! Oh man! <laughs> Might not be a good radio song. Now, you're a lot younger than me, so how often have you seen that show? How many episodes? Quite a few, yeah. because when I was younger, I used to play on Nick at Night all the time. Mm-hmm. And so I saw a lot of, like, um, Green Acres, uh, Bewitched, um, uh, I Dream of Jeannie, I Love Lucy, uh, what was that, um, Petticoat Junction? Right, so you notice how the list of... Shows that you just gave compared to All in the Family, they were all like comedies that didn't deal with anything. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, I, I, I yeah. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they were just like more traditional. And they probably had, I was trying to listen to that list, probably all had white, totally white casts. Oh, like, they all did. Yeah, they all did. Every single one that you But said. Jefferson's was one that was on um, a bit too. Right. But yeah, no, they all did. Yeah, but the yeah. stuff they talked about in that show, I mean, I, I used to say years ago that it was the greatest show of all time. Because of the timing of it and when it was mm-hmm. on the air and the stuff they talked about. You know, and I know people make the case for other shows, but that's up there along with, you know, Star Trek, which I was I, I was a Trekkie. I know it's kind of dorky, but that's the Star truth. Trek was also ahead of its time oh, in its social commentary. You know, some of the stuff, every once in a while, I mean, I've seen the episode so many times mm-hmm. that I can't go back and look at it. But they dealt with, you know, uh, a planet that, you know, the Federation was interfering in their civil war right around like the Vietnam time, you right. know. Uh, they dealt with race where one race, they were black on one side and the other race was black on the other side and how stupid that was, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, different stuff like that, you know, and then, you know, Mr. Spock always used to say, well, luckily, uh, you know, earthlings avoided a total annihilation and, uh, found themselves just in time before a nuclear holocaust. So I'm thinking, <laughs> oh my God, you know, yeah, like we are, you know, here the United Nations, the head of the United Nations the other day said that we are just one mistake away. From some rogue nation like Nukin. Pakistan, I mean, for example. I mean, isn't that scary? 508-996-0500. Let's go to the phones. Good evening. Marcus, how are you? Barry, what's up, man? What's going on? Who, are you with Mr. Santos? I am. Good for you. So, um, Marcus, you know, and, and Mr. <laughs> Santos, with everything going on, and uh, and, and, and Jesse, your, uh, your dad was a very, very dear friend of us in Prince Henry Society. So just want to throw this out there that, you know, there, there comes a time where we really need to take a step back. You know, it gets kind of busy, but we really need to appreciate, you know, where we come from and, and who we are. 
And um, so I know you, Marcus, you got some friends in town. You, you got Jack G, you got Joe Five, you got Maddie in from Houston. So uh, remember Mr. G would play uh, God Bless America for us? Yes, on the trumpet. On the on the trumpet, right? Yeah. And, and um, Mr. Santos, you can... Do you know Jack Holmes, the trumpeteer? No, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. But but he would know he would know Jack Nabriga, and, and Jack Nabriga's favorite song in the whole world was... God Bless America. Thank uh, you, sir. You know, Thank he used to sing it at his time. Oh. Yeah. Oh, God, actually, I remember... At his his last fundraiser, because you said those massive fundraisers at the Century House, his very last fundraiser, uh, uh, Jack Nabriga, made everybody sing "God Bless America." I'm not joking you five or six times mm-hmm. in a row. Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. it was funny. But uh, right, Mr. Santos and, and Marcus, Marcus, we do that all the time at every party we had at my house. Right, mm-hmm. it, was, it was standard, standard yes. issue, right? So I went to uh, pick up your friend Matt at the airport and in, in Providence, and they had a. Uh, I mean, he got delayed, delayed. I, I didn't get in until 2 o'clock. But they actually had a, uh, a piano guy there. And so it's amazing what $10 bought me. So as as uh, Camilla and Matt were coming down the runway, I paid the guy to play. God bless America. As he, as yeah. he, came, into, as he came into Providence. That's but awesome. I think, you, know, you know what I'm saying? As as we have, we're being torn in all these different directions. You know, with with the polarity of, of it doesn't matter, Marcus. Or, you know what side you're on, but at the end of the day, I think it's very important. Families, friends that that we value who we are, and and Marcus, uh, you guys, and, and you know Mark Santos and Jesse Santos and and the Gonzales. We're very, very, very lucky to be who we are, have what we are, and maybe you know we can put aside our differences. And just value what we have, and and think about that song. So, want to say hey to you guys, Miss Miss Chris McCarthy. Hope everything's good. Yeah, you'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for the call, Barry. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. Let's go to the phones. Good evening. Yeah, I'm back. You're talking about TV shows. <laughs> I got a good one for you, and it's before my time. It's probably before your time, and it might be. Uh, this, well, the Twilight Zone with Rod Serling. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Rod Serling was a genius. That man was very smart. Um, he wrote a lot of stuff. He um, did Night Gallery, although he really wasn't involved in that. He just did the narrating of that. And yeah, you're right about the original Twilight Zone. And, you know, we we're talking about even Star Trek having some commentary in some of their storylines and of course all in the family we talked about that too but that show there the twilight zone they brought up a lot of stuff you know oh, what yeah. would happen if this happened you know i remember real quickly there was a story about one guy was building like a bomb shelter and everybody was making fun of him and then when a calamity happened all the neighbors were trying to get into the bomb shelter and he wasn't sure whether he was going to give everybody food because he saved it up for his family and then i think one of the one of the neighbors that was trying to get in was Hispanic, and somebody blurted out an anti, uh, you know, like an anti-Spanish remark, and then all of a sudden all the bigotry started pouring out and all that. And then at the very end of the show, it turned out that the calamity was a false alarm, and that everybody just kind of sat there and looked at each other, and all of the relationships had been broken. Wow! So what a what a great. This is one of my favorite episodes. You could reel. I'm sure you could reel off a number of them, but you know, it was uh, oh, it was fantastic. So yeah, it was fantastic. So many of them, but Sterling later in his career did a lot of uh, narrating for yes. people like Jacques Cousteau, um, 
He was actually going to do that show. He did the pilot to it. Remember In Search Of with Lennon Nimoy? Yes, In Search Of, yes. That was originally designed by Rod Serling. Mm -hmm. And then Rod Serling had a series of heart attacks and passed away. He died died young, right? In like like his 50s. Yeah, 50 years old even he passed away. He didn't even know he he had heart problems. He's mowing the lawn in his uh, vacation home. He just had a massive heart attack, collapsed, and multiple surgeries. That Twilight Zone music, that's about as classic as it gets, huh? Oh, that's an unforgettable one. They have more than one version of that song from the uh, from when the series started till it ended. But the most famous one is the one I know you're talking about. <laughs> I was going to do that, but I I was going to let somebody else do it instead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> they should play the Twilight Zone out here during Barry show. That's that's it. That's enough. (laughs) That's enough. (laughs) All right. Um. (laughs) Oh, that's good. That's a good one. (laughs) It's getting late in the evening. It's getting late in the evening for Marcus, who's been here all evening. You can't can't do that. Um, Barry's my friend, and I think he does a really good job. Uh, but that was funny. <laughs> that was funny. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah. So yeah. Okay. So you like Star Trek. You like uh, All in the Family. This is all old stuff. Yeah. Uh, How oh, about some new stuff? All right. Uh, well, everybody loves Raymond. Is a little bit newer. This, isn't, this isn't what we agreed that we were going to talk about. But we're already we're here. <laughs> I got one. How about Breaking Bad? Yeah. There we go. Yeah, there we okay. Go. There we go. Breaking Bad's a great show. Um, Better I, call Saul now, too. I have complaints. Don't tell me about the, la- the season six, because we haven't started season six yet. So don't tell me what happens in the last Listen, season. Listen, season six is good. Here's my whole thing with Better Call Saul, and this isn't a spoiler. It, I'm waiting for Saul to show up in Better Call Saul, because it's the, not that All right, now he's technically Saul. Do you think he's different in the prequel than he turned out to be in Breaking Bad? They well, haven't really well, well, melded well, him in. Okay, well, so for the first four seasons, his name is Jimmy, and then, then he's finally Saul, but he's not the Saul that you know. He loses his license for a year, and he's doing a cell phone scam a whole season. And it's just like, it feels like a lot of wasted time. Like, half the show becomes about the cartel because you feel like they don't have enough for the Saul stuff. And what I thought it was going to be was, like, a Perry Mason, but with Saul Goodman. So you, like, you'd see it before Breaking Bad, but he's Saul Goodman, and he's still, like, you know horsing around and doing all of his funny stuff, but, like, he's already saw, and he's got, like, clients, and the clients are, like, could be, like, some of the old Breaking Bad characters. I know they are in some circumstances, but, like, it's just, like, this whole, like, oh, this origin story that mirrors Walter White into Heisberg. It just doesn't do it for me. I, I don't know. It's, it's a, listen, it's a good show, obviously. It's not a bad show. It's just not, sometimes I'm just, like, I'm, I'm not sure what I'm watching. I guess is what I'm saying. You like Breaking Bad better. Breaking Bad is a much better show. And, and I get what people like Saul's, you know, Better Call Saul's very tightly written and uh, the character development <clears throat> stuff is really good. And it is to a certain extent. Like, you know, you, you know, they're doing the scam for a whole season. You wonder why they're doing it. And you just find out it's because they're jerks, right? Which I think is a good reveal. But, like, I don't know. Like, why should I care about Saul Goodman's brother? 
or like because you know it's all you know how it all you know how it's all going to end, right? So like there's there's scenes in which you're like, okay, but I know every character in this scene dies, and I know exactly how they die. So there's no tension here. Well, I don't. I don't think they do a good job of addressing that. Well, it's like that Gus character. I knew he wasn't going to get killed because I knew he was going to live to be in the next. Well, that's that's yeah. my whole thing. Is that is that the, Gus is the perfect example because yeah. none of that stuff that he's doing throughout this whole series of Better Call Saul actually matters because we know exactly where. Like, oh, look at him carefully, you know, and uh, fastidiously. Um, coming up with this plan to take down the cartel. Like, we already know how it happens. Yeah. And we already know what happens to him. So why do I care about... Like, it's not... Because it's not like... I don't think it's particularly interesting. And I don't think... Like, Gus was a good villain. He's not, like, a really deep character that I'd like to explore. Like, they... You know, in the, like, the last season or season or season and a half, they're like... The, the most they try to add to him is like, hey, maybe he's gay. That's like it. That's it. That's the only thing that they that they do. Five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, I'd like to bring up a subject uh, that was brought up on your newscast yesterday afternoon. Sure. Yeah. In regards to the scandal uh, that happened in North Attleboro uh, with uh, one of the Catholic priests. Oh yeah. Um, and I would just like to get your opinion on. Where do you think the the Catholic Church is uh, is at the state uh, currently with all the situations and the scandals? I mean, I don't think they've. I think that's where like where they're at is where they've been this whole time. They continue to like not do anything about it, right? Um, you know, we've heard this. I what did, what did Pope Francis say? I, I cry for the little children or bless the, the the children that you know have been hurt. He said that like a year or two ago. But they haven't done anything about it. Like there's nothing. There's no accountability. And in fact, every situation in which a priest may or may not be held accountable, you find that the Catholic Church is directly trying to interfere with that. So, I, like in some terms of where they're at, I don't think they're anywhere. But you know. Losing credibility, uh, honestly. Well, you know, one of the things, I think the caller brings up a great point. You know, there was a period of time, and it seems like we've gone through a stretch where maybe you don't hear about it too often. But I can remember there was a stretch of time, especially when you go back to the, you know, the big case with Father Porter and all that. And then we started hearing about one case after another. It almost got to the point where you pick up a paper and you thought to yourself, oh, my God, there goes another one, you know. Mm -hmm. And you know, yeah, yeah and and on, and on and on it would go, and then you know you would find out. Yeah. And again, I, you know, I got to tell you, I, it's only been since I I want to say because I took some Renaissance courses in high school. I think it was around the year one thousand or something when priests couldn't marry. Yeah. And you know, uh, look now you don't have to be married to be in a relationship anyway. The Catholic Catholic Church doesn't take that point of view, but I often wondered, like you know, uh, to ask somebody to take the vow of celibacy for life. Uh, hey, I, to me, that's a tall order. You know what I mean? Like you, you want to mm -hmm. have you want to have a relationship. You want to have somebody to love. You want to have a family. Most people do. If you want to be single, you still want to have people in, in your life. Um, you know, I just think it's a tall order to ask most people. And so the question is, does it then attract people who uh, maybe they, they just they just can't find their way or something? You know what I mean? I'm not excusing at all. I'm just saying, you know, and actually people that are going to abuse kids, pedophiles, they, they go for, you know, uh, coaching things. They go for uh, scouting. They go for they go for places where you have access. That's what yeah. they do. So, you know, access and authority. Yeah. Really, so I don't right? know. I don't know what the caller thinks about that. 
Yes, well, I, I would tend to agree with you in that in that circumstance. I do believe that the church has to change um, in some of its ways. I agree, uh, you know, with you stating about the, you know, I think in, in this particular diocese where the bishop really doesn't do anything um, in that regard. I mean, I understand, I guess, this complaint yesterday, from what I understand, it, they did state that it did not have anything to do with a minor. That's correct. I mean, we don't know the specifics, obviously. You know, I'm, I'm assuming, again, it's with another adult, whether it be male or female. Um, of course, we, we can't speculate without, you know, knowing actually the facts of, of what's transpired. Do you think uh, a priest should be allowed to get the, married? But uh, well, to be honest with you, I mean, it, it, it's a touchy subject nowadays, and I, I think in all honesty that the Catholic Church um, down the road will have to look at that, because as you know, other religions do permit uh, their religious to be married, uh, you know, and stuff like that, and some even with same-sex marriages, obviously. So I think at some point, I think the Catholic Church will have to amend its ways, absolutely, because... I mean, obviously, now you look at the downfall of the Catholic Church. The, you know, attendance in this area is very low. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, and, and you know, don't attend masses. Obviously, for whatever reason it may be, but I, I do think in time the Catholic Church is going to have to amend its ways. Yeah, and there, it's it's like how can you hold yourself out as a moral authority when you continue to have these types of incidences? Now, this didn't involve a minor, like what you're talking about, but we know that there's priests in these dioceses that have had incidents that involved minors. And fairly recently, too. Not like it was, you know, Father Porter or whoever, however many years ago. So, yeah, I think they continue to lose their credibility. Um, I think, yeah, they need to change their direction. And it's like it gets to the point where, you know, and I, I come from a family that's Catholic, and I think everybody practices their faith and all of that. And that's great uh, if that's where you can find your solace and comfort and your direction. But in terms of the Catholic Church, if they want to be a sustainable institution and try to guide people morally have to have to change something. I did want to say, you know, I grew up in the Catholic Church, the St. John the Baptist Church, which sadly closed a number of years ago, and my parents were very upset about it, especially my father who grew up there, got married there. I got married there myself, as a matter of fact. And, you know, I knew many, many priests. I was an altar boy and, and everything, you know coming up the ranks and so forth, being brought up Catholic. And I met many, many priests, and they were terrific, terrific gentlemen, really good to us. You know, they would bring us to Red Sox games. And, yeah, you know, no, I, I know, all, so, I've, known, yeah. I've known a few that yeah. were good so, men, too. So, I'm not saying that they're yeah, all. Yeah, no, no, I know, I know. And that's why I wanted to make that point, because I was yeah. criticizing the church as were you and criticizing, you know, the bad priests that were out there. But there were many, many good ones. And actually, during the time where, you know, we were reading about a new case every other day, I felt bad for, you know, the the priests, the good priests that were out there because, you know, they'd be walking around and people would be giving them double looks and everything like that. And they were innocent. Those men, the innocent ones, yeah. are walking around getting dirty looks and stuff like that. Terrible, terrible tragedy uh-huh. for people who really were trying to do right by the, you know, by the, uh, by the, you know, by the word of God or whatever, you know. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Yeah, so um, 508-996-0500. Good evening. Hi, how you doing, Marcus? This is Tom. Hey, Tom, what's up? Well, you mentioned the Porter thing, and uh, as you know, I was a survivor of, of that right. situation uh, and the, the ruinous effects uh, that this was allowed to go on uh, when it really didn't have to. Uh, the, I mean, the, even the uh, non-disclosure agreements in the local area, if they didn't have that, uh, maybe would have been forewarned, but... 
I'm calling tonight to say that, hey, okay, you're, you're right. Uh, the institution itself, uh, if you go back to Vatican II, they could uh, revisit the priestly formation and even marriage and even woman priests. Uh, I think eventually that, that will occur. Uh, but in the meantime, there are good priests still out there that preach the gospel. Of course. I mean, those folks that, that preach the gospel, uh, you'll see those parishes flourish. Um, and it, it, it's just unfortunate uh, that the administrative qualities of the church at the present time, even in this diocese, are kind of bizarre. Uh, for example, a Lady Guadalupe Church, they had about 600 Hispanic families uh, with a priest uh, that was bilingual. Everybody loved the guy. The guy was tremendous, preached the gospel every day. And what does the bishop do? He takes them out. Uh, now they're down to about 30 people. I mean, it, it's stuff like that uh, that I think that... Well, why the, did the, the bishop take him out? They know. just do it routinely. It's, it, this guy's an old-fashioned, uh, doesn't want your priest to be too, too close to the people kind of thing. Right. And and it, 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 it's it's an administrative quality uh, that doesn't work in the 20th, 21st century. Right. Uh, and they'll struggle. Uh, and those kind of things. And, and there's a lot uh, that can be done. And everybody has to remember, each individual diocese is an independent uh, organization in and of itself. Right. So there's a lot of authority there, but there's a lot of authority with lay people, lay people stepping forward uh, and and filing uh, uh, their disenchantment with, with things like this. Uh, but, yeah, so I, I kind of agree with Paul. Uh, if the priest is uh, preaching the gospel and everything else is up to snuff, those are the ones you got to support. I don't happen to belong there anymore. I, I joined a, a multi-denominational church down here. Right. And it's the same thing. If they preach the gospel and they pray on Wednesday night and, and they, they feed the poor, that's what it's about. You know, it isn't simply uh, Christianity uh, is something that you believe. It's something that you do. Yeah. And if people want to claim to be Christian, then they should start doing. Right. You know, and uh, anyway, I don't want to take up all you. No, I appreciate it. I I really appreciate your perspective on this, Tom. Thanks for the call. Thank you. Yeah, I I could have fun on the Trump stuff if you want. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Yeah, sure. Well, I heard all morning the whining that went on for all the Trumpers. I couldn't believe it. They they would not uh, stop for a second and say, well, wait a minute, what are they looking for? We don't know, but because we don't know, we can speculate this. I mean, I'll do some speculation. Maybe there's some uh, Secret Service papers uh, with the Secret Service on the Trump side were ready to assassinate Pence, Secret Service on the other side. Uh, you know, maybe uh, there, there were situations that went on in the White House that had documented uh, regarding where to put all the money in his fundraising. And you notice yeah. today he went on another fundraising tour. The guy likes money. Yeah, of and, course. <laughs> and, and I'd be of the opinion it'd be better uh, to bring uh, the basketball star in Russia, trade him for Trump. You know, <laughs> yeah. that, that'd be a good trade. <laughs> I mean, well, like I think that. well, if they traded him for Trump, I, 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 you know, I think Trump would do pretty well there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you go back to Helsinki, that was a shocker to the world. Yes, you know, yes. I, I was stunned. I said, "You got to be kidding! How how much is the fastest this guy going to explore?" And right. that's what they do: they deny elections and they create violence. And if the Republican side doesn't see that, this guy is not electable. It's not going to happen. He got his. Is behind spanked by Biden, seventy-two electoral votes. 
8 million in the popular vote. And if Biden ended up in a nursing home, they'd still beat him. Right. You know? I mean, I, so. I think so. I think if this election, if Trump is the nominee, that it could be the case that it, it ends up being a referendum on Trump the person and not on a platform. You know? Yeah, yeah he doesn't have any platform. He doesn't know anything about government. Right. Me and, you know, the, the, you know the, the identity with me and Liz Cheney, we both know more about government than Trump does. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's true. It's he doesn't I mean it right, it is there's no Trump like project or anything. He's just a guy he just is a guy who says stuff. Yeah. You know. It's crazy. I mean, yeah. I, I, there's people out there that still think the election was stolen. I'm like Come There's people on. that still think he's president. Yeah. No, I know. Yeah, it's crazy. crazy. But yeah. anyway, so that was just fun because that's what they were doing this morning. Yeah, it's just it's funny to see, like, you know, like, it's, it's, like I said earlier, he spent the last few days uh, talking about how every drug dealer needs to be executed with a, a quick trial. And, um, you know, we need to be violent and mean uh, towards people that we don't like. And then, uh, you know, has no problem saying when I'm in office, I'm going to use, you know, or, you know, if when I was in office, we used the power of the government to be mean to people that you don't like. And then all of a sudden, as soon as he gets uh, a no knock warrant executed on his home, he's all of a sudden a, you know, law enforcement reformist. Yeah, He's playing the victim that trying to pile it ain't going to happen. No. Thanks for the call, Tom. Appreciate it. Thank you. We're going to take this break. We'll be right back. Listen to us live anywhere. So (laughs) welcome back to South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus. We're here with Paul Santos. Uh, We were talking about a few things. (laughs) A variety of topics is is how I'll classify it. Uh, A variety of topics. And you can call in and and add your own variety to the topics at 508-996-996. Oh five hundred. Hey, what did um what did Tom Quinn say about the dangerousness bill? What did Shane McMahon say about the dangerousness bill at the um at the uh the the meeting tonight? Right. The meeting the debate tonight. Yeah, Tom Quinn was a strong advocate for adding different prongs to what can be considered in a dangerousness statute. By the way, guys, danger. Uh, uh, if you you can a dangerousness hearing um is a hearing in front of a judge. Uh, there can be witnesses, evidence presented. Uh, you have your you have your attorney present, obviously. If you're the person that's being considered a danger, there's specific crimes you can be considered a danger for. If you're found to be a danger, one you can you know there's different there's alternative ways to handle that. You can ha- be on an ankle monitor, or you can be on some type of restriction. You've got to check in every day to probation, or you got to do this, you got to do that. Um, but one of the things, and one of the things that happens most often, is that you're held. You can be held for 180 days without bail. So um, Charlie Baker has been looking for ways. This is one of like something I think he considers a legacy project is to try to expand the categories for which someone can be uh, held as a danger or requested to be held as a danger in front of the judge. So what did uh, what did what did DA Quinn say? Well, Quinn wanted to have sexual abuse added. He wanted to have certain gun, uh, excuse me, gun offenses added. Mm-hmm. I think he wanted some domestic violence stuff added to the extent that it's not already there. Yeah. Uh, Shannon McMahon said that she thought that the dangerous nat- statute could be expanded too. She thought that was important, but she wanted to kind of step back and say, well, "Wait a minute, you have to understand that it's not so easy. That maybe some further research should be done to determine whether or not 
people that shouldn't be held would be held because you know mm-hmm. you have to understand what we're talking about here you know it's easy to say and i and i i have to say i agree with most of what quinn was saying quinn was saying that there is a percentage of the population that's out there that are so dangerous that they get arraigned they go out they get arraigned again they go out and those people just have to be held to for the safety of the public you know we sure. all want our families i want to be safe i want my families to be safe and everything else yeah, that's but, reasonable but what the public doesn't see and i was a prosecutor and defense attorney i know you spent some time in district court uh, I can remember, and I don't. I don't remember <laughs> how long you were down there, but I can yeah. remember sitting in the seats waiting for my case to be called, and yeah. it'd be like, uh, "Stand by, Mr. Santos. We got to do this dangerousness hearing, right?" They do the dangerousness hearing. Sometimes they take about half an hour, forty-five minutes. You know, sometimes. they put a couple of witnesses up, and then at the end of the hearing, the judge would go, "Okay, you're held. Without you know, basically, you're held. You there's no bail. Uh, you can't get out. You haven't been convicted. There's supposed to be proof beyond a reasonable doubt. You're supposed to be presumed innocent." And I would say to myself. Oh my God, I can't believe the judge held that guy. But yeah. that's not the one that makes the paper. The one that yeah. makes the paper is when the judge doesn't hold the guy. Exactly. So that's you, exactly you, it. you're treading on dangerous water. Now, again, I want to make it clear. I want to be safe. I want my family to be safe. Somebody that's that dangerous, yes, I want them held pending the trial. But you have to understand, you're still presumed innocent or proven guilty. And you're for that until some relative of yours, you know, has a situation where maybe. Uh, the judge uh, airs and holds a person who really shouldn't be held. And that can happen. It can happen. And it will absolutely, if it happens to you, ruin your life. Yes, so you, you have a job, you're going to lose it. Uh, if you are the sole breadwinner for your family, they're going to be hurting, right? And so um, there are situations in which uh, an, expanse, uh, an expansive um, approach to dangerousness hearings can be really bad now i again shannon mcmahon agreed and tom quinn agreed that there are certain there are certain crimes that aren't included in dangerousness statute that probably should be right and because he, he because tom quinn would say i just want to be able to request it so the judge can make the determination so that's yeah, all that's, fine yeah. you know, that, that that's fine i mean I, I but even requesting the dangerousness hearing right you can hold somebody for basically up to like three court days um mm-hmm. and uh that's that's a lot. Like I had a, one time I had a guy and the, I thought the reasoning for dangerousness was flimsy and it was flimsy and the judge didn't end up holding him. But they were going They ended up the judge ended up, thank God, saying, you know, you're only holding him for one day. They wanted to hold him. They wanted to hold this person until Tuesday because it was a three day weekend and it was Thursday because you get three days. Right. So they wanted to hold them till Tuesday. So um, but this person had a job that they would have lost. They would have lost a lot of money if they did that. And this person ended up being released. Right. And this person ended up not being convicted of the thing that they were charged with. So they could have lost five days of work, potentially their career. Um, being held in the House of Correction for something that, like, so even requesting the dangerousness hearing can have serious implications. Again, I get it. I get it. There are certain crimes that aren't included in the dangerousness statute that you're probably like, well, this should be, right? Because these these individuals, I think, are uh, present a danger to the public. But the, I think what this is, someone compared this to, someone compared this to, um, uh, in the Senate, in the state Senate, compared this to the, and this is what I thought of as well when I when I saw all the really good protections, you know, for people, for women, for people who are um, victims of sexual violence, right, for children who are abused, um, all the really are 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 packed into a bill 
with a lot of bad stuff too, right? So the violent, the, the 96 crime bill is the one that people think of the most, or the one that you think of the most when you think of the Violence Against Women Act was in the crime bill, and that's really good and necessary, but everything else in the crime bill was bad. And so the the implications of it were really bad. So if you can trim down that bill to have a more targeted approach, I think it's something that'll be really agreeable. Five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. Good evening. Hi, Johnny One Note here. How hey, are Johnny, you? what's up? Oh, not much. I've been listening on and off throughout the night here. Uh, one thing I didn't hear about, and I'd like to ask you about, is the uh, case with the New Hampshire truck driver who. Had that collision with all those uh, bike riders, yeah. all those uh, motorcycle riders, he was acquitted of all charges. Mm-hmm. Um, am I was I to be shocked by that, or am I just so? So here's the thing: the media too much that came out that came out earlier in the day. I was I haven't had time to really read that. My initial reaction is: you get charged with killing nine people and you get off on all every one of them. I think that's fairly shocking. Wouldn't you agree, Paul? Yeah, again, I don't know anything about the case yeah. in terms of the fact pattern, so I hate to comment on it, you know. So this was this was a while. This was a few years ago. There was this this, tr- this trucker during bike week in, like, Laconia. Yeah, I do remember it vaguely, yes. Yeah, struck, uh, struck nine motorists and killed them. Uh, I don't know much about the case after that. I remember it was highly publicized because I think this person was an immigrant. Yeah, illegal immigrant, had no papers and nothing. Yeah. You know, yeah. but uh, I, from what I, the little bit I heard about it tonight, and we can, I guess, follow up with this tomorrow, but we probably have more facts about it. Something to do with the judge suppress the facts about him uh, being under the influence of fentanyl and cocaine, I guess. Huh. And, and also, I've, I guess some of the autopsy something, um, more than one of the bikers were found to have, uh, you know, over limit alcohol levels in it, but also. Was that presented? So, I, I think that was. But but hmm. what wasn't presented was the fact of this truck driver's drug use of that day. If, if I remember right. You know, so I, I called and asked you because I didn't know if you had the load down on it yet or not. Do you recall, Marcus, if, if, if the bikers were on the road driving, and the truck driver was on the road driving as well? I believe that was the, the, the right. case. So, yeah, so, they were going in opposite directions. Yeah. Okay. On a windy road, and mm-hmm. I don't know if it was around a corner or whatnot, uh, you know, the truck that was towing a, a long trail around it had collided with this huge group of bikers and killed seven of them. I don't know how many right. it's like. Again, we, we don't know the facts of the case. We'd have to know, like, you know, if right. somebody's speeding, did somebody cross the line, was somebody under the influence, you know, in the biker group. I don't know any of that. You know what I mean? So, again, right. we'd have to. I think the thing with cases, and Marcus would probably agree with this, I think the tendency is, is to hear a soundbite on the news or hear a little snippet of what the case is right. about, but to really dig into the case you really have to spend a lot of time digging into the case researching it hearing the whole side both sides of the case and then you still may come to the conclusion that the verdict should have been the other way what's important but at least, is you know, you what's important facts. is the the proof beyond a reasonable doubt right. standard is mm-hmm. pretty high and mm-hmm. so right. if you're telling right. me somebody in the in the among the victims 
was, or I guess the departed was, um, under the influence. And that could have led the Jersey jury to plausibly believe that this person being under the influence while operating a motorcycle could have also led to that crash. Then that would have been an alternative set of facts maybe needed for the jury to acquit because it's not more likely than not. It's beyond a reasonable doubt. So that could have been enough. The, that could have been enough for the jury to decide that that's, that was plausible. Sure, that, that makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah, that's probably what happened there. But uh, could be. Anyway, thanks. Like, like listening to your show. All I also like listening to you. I'll be listening to you uh, this weekend. Yeah, Saturday one to four. Spot. Saturday one to four. Saturday one to four. I'll be listening to you then. Thank you. Right. Have a good night. Guys. Yes, thanks, Johnny. Appreciate it. Five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. I've been up to Laconia. Um, not to be flippant about the whole thing because it is really terrible. I've been up to Laconia, uh, not during bike week, but because I think that's where it happened. I think it happened in oh. that in that area, okay. and um, I really like it there. That's all I had to say. <laughs> that was it. That's all I had to say. All right, five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred fourteen twenty WBS. All to the off air podcast, actually. So the off air podcast, when it comes out, it's going to be a lot better than the on air stuff, and. Um, uh, you're going to have to pay uh, a premium for it, but I think you'll really enjoy it. Wouldn't you agree? Well, does this mean you can say <laughs> stuff that you can't say on the regular radio? No, I was just oh, saying. Okay. I, I think the um, I think the FBI killed Martin Luther King. I was just talking about that a little bit because we were talking about the FBI. But five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. Paul, what do you got ahead for us on Saturday? Well, it's interesting. One of the things I wanted to talk about was this whole collision between an a Bedford fishing boat, the Gabby G. And the Norwegian Pearl, which is a cruise ship out of Boston. So what happened was I happened to be on that ship. And the Norwegian Pearl left Boston, was on its way to Bermuda. And the first night, in the middle of the night, approximately 1.30 a.m. Eastern Time, was struck by the New Bedford fishing vessel. So on Saturday, I'm going to give you a full description because I happened to be awake when it happened. I saw much of the aftermath. I can give you the entire description of what happened what it felt like, what it sounded like, what people were doing, and how the Norwegian people who ran the ship handled the situation, right? Which we feel, the people that were on the ship feel, they didn't handle it very well at all. Mm -hmm. So we're going to talk about that. And actually, I do believe that we're going to have a fisherman on to talk about, you know, a lot of people were asking, well, how could this have happened? You know, don't they have radar? You know, don't they have, you know, modern technology on these ships? Well, yeah, they do. They have computers. They have radar. So, given the fact that they have all that, how could this have happened? Well, you know, I don't know if this fisherman is going to go way out on a limb and speculate how it happened, but at least he'll be able to tell us, you know, what's on a fishing boat. You know, most people, myself, I'm from New Bedford. I think I've been on a fishing boat maybe a couple of times. One time I got a tour of a fishing boat, and I was, like, so fascinated, you know, yeah. at how dangerous a job. By the way, ten times danger, more dangerous than a police officer, yes. by the way. Yes. But anyway, so, you know, uh, you know, so just to get the description of what the boat is like, you know, how it operates, who's supposed to be watching, how the radar works, I think that would be interesting that people can... You know, we can talk about that. And then I have a young lady coming on who is a singer. She's a sophomore at Dartmouth High School. She is writing her own stuff. She really, it's an amazing story. Her father passed away. She is, her father was a well-known educator in the Acushton Middle School, discovered that he had pancreatic cancer, which is the worst, one of the worst kind of cancers to have. The one that Alice Trebek had, the one that... Um, I think Michael Landon had that. And when you when you get pancreatic cancer, there's no symptoms. So by the time you find out, usually it's a death sentence. And it's a real quick death sentence. So her father Yikes. passed away. 
And she started writing music, and she wrote an unbelievable song about him. And so she's recording and stuff like that. And she also attends Dartmouth High School, so maybe I'll ask her. I certainly plan on asking her about that whole cell phone thing. We're going to talk about that, too, during the course of the afternoon. Because, you know, what is it like dropping off a cell phone? Or what do you think it would be like dropping off a cell phone when you go into class? That's going to be actually not a cell phone, an iPhone. Yeah, totally different. It so is. I, I like to get a you know a student's perspective on that. So maybe we'll talk a little bit about that. A couple of good local issues that we can chat about. I think so. Five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. Yeah, people don't know a lot about the um the the uh, a lot about the the really the inner workings of, of fishing vessels and all that. I mean, I think the fishing heritage center is a really good resource that people should go check out. Um, they have some really cool exhibits, but it'll be good to get that explanation from somebody that's you know. Um, I, I wanted to say on the ground, but that's not correct. <laughs> I'm going to take a break. We'll be right back. All right. 1420 WBSA. Saturday. Saturday afternoon. Um, oh, yeah, that's what I was doing. I was covering um, I was covering uh, Healy's, uh, more Healy's appearance. That's why I happened to be there at that time. And uh, you got up on stage <laughs> and you sang. You must have been thinking, oh, my God, what is this? Well, you came up, and I thought you were just, like, hosting something. Like, you know, you're, you're like the master of ceremonies. But, no, you were performing. Uh, tell us about it. Yeah, you know, here's the thing, right? When you get older, you start thinking, well, you know, what's something that I, that I always kind of wanted to try but never did? Maybe I didn't have the guts to do it. Maybe I was raising a family, so on and so forth. So the kids are grown and gone. We're empty nesters. I'm thinking, all right, I want to try this. I want to try that. So then I started that, you know, kind of mm-hmm. offbeat comedy variety show that you've been on a couple of times. And, yeah, you know, fun. I started doing that. It was fun. We have a lot of laughs with that. And then I do Santos on sports, which is like, that is a sports podcast. And then uh, I decided to learn how to sing. I was like, you know, I'm going to learn how to sing. I couldn't carry a tune from here to one foot from now when right. I started. So I go to Car- uh, Sharon Jensen, whose daughter is Jillian Jensen, who appeared Jillian. on American Idol, X Factor, and everything else. Yep. Outstanding singer. Now she's on another TV show about, I think, Say Yes to the Dress. Yeah, she was just on Say Yes to the Dress. Yeah, yeah. So a very well-known family. So I went to Sharon Jensen, and then she started teaching me how to sing. So then once you get to the point where... She thinks that you're able to do it. You appear in these showcases. So there I am. Just about all of her other students are all like 14, 15, 16 years old, you know. Mm -hmm. And then there's me. And then every once in a while, there's another older person. But, you know. So on this particular day, they gave her an hour at the feast. It was a hot Saturday afternoon, about 2 o'clock. And one after the other, we just went up and sang one song. So for me, it's the Frank Sinatra seems to be my genre because of my low voice, you know. Yeah. So I started practicing the Frank Sinatra. So I got the, to the point where she thought I could try it. So she told me, make sure you walk back and forth and you sway a little bit and you try to make eye contact with the audience and try to do some showmanship. <laughs> so I went up there and I was walking back and forth and I'm singing and I'm like trying my best. And, uh, oh, it was an absolute blast. You know? Yeah, you know, I thought you did a good job, too. It was, it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah. It was fun. But I, the thing is, you must have been thinking, is, it, is that Santos? What, what is he doing? <laughs> well, like I said, I thought you were like... The MC. Yeah, that, the MC. That would make more like it. That would be more like I it. I thought you were the MC, and then yeah. you just <laughs> just went right into it. I was like, whoa, I all only, right. I only saw you for one second after, and you said, I didn't know I, you had you in you. I didn't know yet. That's <laughs> <laughs> what I said, yeah. Yeah, it's true. That was great. Yeah. No, it was fun. It's a lot of fun. It's a, It was a little nerve-wracking, but it's fun learning something new. So I always tell people, I'm 62 years old now, it's never too late to try something new. I agree. Don't wait until it's too late. Yeah, because it's never too late. Never too late. Yeah. Well, Paul, thanks for joining us. Yes. Uh, we've got about a minute or two left. All right. Uh, what's your favorite movie? Favorite movie? Well, you know, The Godfather, of course, is up there. Don't. Uh, that's boring. I know, I know, I know. 
uh, Fredo, you broke my heart. You know, that whole thing, you know. <laughs> I was on the cruise ship with a guy who knew every line of The Godfather. So we'd be sitting oh, yeah. there and, you know, sipping a you know, cocktail or something. Yeah. And we'd just look at each other and blurt out another line. You know? <laughs> I mean, of course, the offer you can't refuse is the yeah, biggest yeah. one. But uh, let me see. Um, Chris oh, and I talk uh, about mob movies. Uh, sometimes we'll just recite lines, you know. Yeah, yeah. Of course, that one you could go on like, all like, night. Uh, no, like good, Goodfellas. Oh, you know? Goodfellas. Yeah. I was going to mention that no, one. No more shines, Billy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You've been upstate a long time. Time. Exactly. Maybe no one up there went up there and told you. I don't. I don't you know, shine shoes. I gotta tell you, I generally don't watch movies. I, I don't know why. I just you know. I mean, I got a, a television, a sixty inch that gets a uh, five hundred channels, and I'm thinking, okay, now I'm going to leave here. I'm going to go in a dark theater. I'm going to sit in an uncomfortable chair for two hours, hey. and then ten minutes into it, if I think it stinks, I'm stuck here. <laughs> <laughs> You don't even want to wait to see if the movie that, gets good. Yeah, You're like, it, oh, it, no, this sucks. Doesn't that say something about our attention span now? I think it does, yeah. yeah. I, think I it mean, does. I yeah. like the theater. Here's the thing. I like the theater experience for a select few movies. And right. last time I went to the movies, actually, I went all in. I went to the deluxe theater in Foxborough oh, where right. they serve you food. Oh, and, yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's, now it's like now I can't go back. What's no. your favorite movie? Lost in Translation. Uh, oh. Bill Murray.